here. My name is Dan Min. I'm the pastor here at ACF, and uh, on behalf of our church family to you, we want to say welcome. If this is your first time joining us, if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest with us, uh, we're so glad you've chosen to be with us here this morning, and so uh, welcome. Uh, this is, uh, as, as we've already mentioned, this is our last Sunday of the semester, also of the, of the year, uh, but I realize for some of us, it's the last Sunday service uh, as a student here at Penn State, because some of us are graduating uh, here in December. Just out of curiosity, can you, if you're graduating this December, would you mind just raising your hand real nice and high, nice and high? Okay, a few of you, awesome, awesome. Um, Here's, uh, he, here's what I like to do. I like to pray for our graduating seniors, and so I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to ask you to stand up uh, if you are graduating in this, uh, this December. And what I love for us to do as a church is come around them and pray for them. No, go on, stand up, stand up. Um, and uh, if uh, a few of you are around uh, someone who is standing, a friend who is standing, would you just come around them, lay a hand on them, and we're going to pray for them here. And so just go ahead and, and just shuffle around if you will. And uh, I love to say a quick prayer for us as we send off our seniors here. Um, I realize that some of, uh, some of our graduating friends aren't leaving us for good. Uh, they, they, they may still be popping in and out, but uh, this chapter of their lives is coming to a close. And so we like to bless them as a church. And so, uh, church, if you don't mind, just, just join me in prayer. And uh, let's bless our friends here as they, uh, as they graduate. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these dear friends that you've given us for the time that you have. Uh, for some, some of them, it, it, it's been uh, a couple of years. For others, all four years or maybe even more than that. And for that time, God, we thank you for blessing our body, blessing the body of Christ with these individuals, with all the unique gifts and talents and the, and the kingdom contributions that they have brought during their time here at Penn State. God, we want to say all glory to be Christ our King. And now, Father, as they graduate and as they transition into the next phase of their journey, the next chapter of their lives, God, we want to pray as a church, as their brothers and sisters, blessing on them. All of heaven's provisions would, would, would go before them. God, we pray that you would lead them and guide them in the coming days. Uh, if, if there are some of us here that, uh, who are moving on to the unknown, maybe we don't, we don't really know what the next chapter has in store for us, God, we pray that you would give us a, a sense of your peace uh, for, for our friends here, Lord, as they navigate what's to come. And for those uh, of our friends who are moving into their career and their jobs, Lord, we pray that they would live gospel-centered lives uh, in whatever arena of life you are placing them in. And so, Father, we as uh, their church family want to come around them and we want to thank you for them. Uh, but more than that, God, we want to pray your blessings uh, ahead of them as they, as they move on with their lives, Lord. And so, Father, we give glory to you. And um, we thank you for these dear friends. In Jesus' strong name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Hey, let's give our graduating seniors a round of applause. Job well done. Job well done. All right. You may uh, find your seats here. Hey, um, as we come to the end of the semester, uh, we come to the end of this uh, sermon series that we've been in for the good second half of the semester that we've been calling Oddballs. Oddballs. And this is a study uh, based out of the book of 1 Peter. And the basic premise for this series, we've been saying, is 
as followers of Jesus, for those of you who identify yourselves as Christians, maybe you grew up in the church and maybe you have committed your life to Christ or in, in whatever context you would identify yourself as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus, newsflash, your life is supposed to look different. Your life is to fundamentally look different in virtually every possible way and perhaps even a little odd according to the world's standards. And Peter expounds on this idea in chapter 1 by encouraging us to be holy, be holy, be holy. Holy is, the, the literal word is consecrated, set apart, different. Be holy as God is holy. Then in chapter 2, uh, Peter assures us of our core identity. He says, this is who God has uniquely called you and designed you to be. He addresses the issue of our identity in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he instructs us how to engage with the world around us, given our odd nature, given our different nature. In chapter 4, he shows us a picture of how we are to associate with our fellow oddballs. He shows us how the church ought to function and what the church ought to look like in chapter 4. And he brings his first letter, because Peter wrote two letters, first and second Peter, he brings his first letter to a close in chapter 5, and that's where we find ourselves here today. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to pick up from verse 6. If you don't have a Bible here with you, have no fear. We've got some volunteers who will be coming around with some Bibles. Just go ahead and raise your hand, and they can hook you up with the Bible here. If you don't own a personal copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. You don't need to return it. Take it home with you. This is your Bible to keep. Uh, and, but uh, if you are following along with us in these Bibles, we are on page 1017. 1017 is where we are here today. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to pick it up from verse 6 and carry it through to verse 11. In the opening verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, he's talking to uh, the leaders of the church. And he's, he's instructing them how they ought to function and operate as leaders shepherding the flock. But in uh, verse 6, he kind of shifts gear, uh, gears and he turns to the church. Again, he does this every now and then. He, he speaks to a, a one group of people and then he changes uh, his, his, his discourse to address a different category, a group of people. In verses 6, six through 11, he's talking to the church, people like you and me. And we pick up uh, in verse 6 his thought process here. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever Amen. Let's say that amen together, church. Amen and amen. Friends, I want to talk to you today about the way of humility. I want to talk to you about the way of humility. If you're taking notes down, you could jot this down on the top of your page as a header, or you can throw this in your phone, in your notes app, whatever, you, whatever your uh, note-taking device is. The way of humility. You see, at the heart of the gospel, this is what we find. We find the way 
of humility. To live the gospel life, church, is to live in the way of humility. Christ lived in this way of humility. This season is speaks to the way of humility as we approach the Christmas season. It screams out. The nativity scene screams out that the scene that we have become so accustomed to, so familiar with, screams out the way of humility. All of Christian life points to this way of humility. In fact, even in this book that we're studying, would you know that the way of humility is woven throughout every single piece of 1 Peter. In the opening chapter when Peter tells us, remember, to be holy as God is holy, he's calling us to humble submission and obedience to this holy God. In fact, the only appropriate response to this holy God, Peter says, is one of humble submission to this holy God. Humble obedience to this holy God. In chapter two, when Peter reminds us of our identity, he says, hey, listen, I'm not telling you how special you are so that you can feel good about how special you are. I'm telling you how special you are because so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light so that you, you can proclaim the glory of Christ as we just sang. All glory be to Christ our King. That's why God has given you a unique identity, not so that you can just say, hey, look who I am. No, so that you can point to the excellencies of Christ, the way of humility. In chapter 3, when Peter tells us to engage with the people around us, even with those who are antagonistic towards people of faith. Do you know people like that? Maybe, some, maybe you've encountered some even on this campus. People who are antagonistic towards the people of faith. He encourages us to approach these conversations with what? Gentleness and respect. The markers of the way of humility. And then in chapter 4, Peter addresses the church. He says, hey, ACF, I want you to treat each other this way. I want you to show love earnestly towards one another, to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I want you to serve one another with the gifts that you have been given so that at the end of it all, Christ might be glorified. Friends, this is the way of humility. And in case there's any confusion, Peter gets to chapter 5. And he lays it out as clear as day for us in the opening verse of today's passage. He says in verse 6, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And would you know that this isn't the first time Peter is saying this? This is coming off the heels of verse 5 where he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? Humility. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. By the way, the reason for the quotations there is because Peter is quoting from Proverbs 3.34. Proverbs 3.34 was written by Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived. And in Proverbs 3.34, he says, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now get this. Peter's not the only one who quotes from Proverbs 3.34. James, the brother of Jesus, quotes this very verse in James 4.6. Now, there's no need to read it because it's the same verse. They're all communicating the same thing. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but if the brother of Jesus, James, and the wisest king to have ever lived, Solomon, and one of Jesus' best friends, one of his closest disciples, are all saying the same thing, you know it's got to be important. You know it's got to be worth listening to and lending an ear to. They're all pointing to the way of humility. But what is this way of humility? What is this way of humility? Now, sure, humility 
It's thinking about, uh, of, uh, thinking of others before yourself, right? We, we've, we've talked about that here at ACF at length. Some of us have defined humility as not necessarily thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less, right? How many of you have heard that definition used before, right? It's not thinking less about yourself, you know, but, but it's just thinking about yourself less. And that is indeed a true statement. But I think Peter gives us another angle, another perspective, another lens to look through when it comes to this way of humility. And I want to give you three specific things that I believe Peter points out when it comes to the way of humility as indicated in this passage today. Number one, the way of humility is a less anxious way. The way of humility is a less anxious way way and right there some of us it, it should grip us right there from the start it's a less anxious way and it's a less anxious way because humble people get this learn to walk under the mighty hand of god i want you to notice the preposition that 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 peter uses here he uses the word under not over not behind not in front of he uses the word under he says in verse six humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Just as a quick sidebar, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this piece here, but when Peter says so that at the proper time he may exalt you, he's not promising to increase your status or your platform. It, when he says, I'm going to exalt you, church, he's not saying, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to promise you some kind of fame, earthly fame and earthly glory. He's, he, remember, he's talking to the persecuted Christians during this time. And during this time, he says these words, and his, his basic message is the same as that of Jesus. Blessed are you, in Matthew 5, we see these words, Jesus speak these words. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, for great is your reward in heaven. God will exalt you at the proper time. So I don't want to mislead us today and say, hey, church, if you walk in the way of humility, God's going to cause you to be rich and famous. I mean, that's, that's not what Peter's saying here. And in fact, that's not really what I want to focus our time here on anyway, but rather, I want us to think about this notion of placing ourselves under the mighty hand of God. I want you to understand what we're talking about here. When we place ourselves under the mighty hand of God, what we're saying is, God, no matter what is happening in my life right now, no matter how out of control of things I might feel in my situations that I'm facing in my life right now, no matter how things might be spiraling out of control, no matter how much anxiety strikes at the core of my being, no matter how much fear I'm struggling with, no matter how many doubts I have and questions and uncertainties that I might have, in the midst of all of that, God, I'm choosing to trust your hand. I'm choosing to submit myself under the mighty hand of God, and I'm choosing to trust that your hand over my life is far better than my hand around my life. When we say that we place ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we are essentially saying, God, I trust you, and I trust what you are doing. You see, a lot of us, if I can just level with you, and I place myself in the same boat with all of us, a lot of us tend to do the very opposite. In other words, when our lives feel like it's spinning out of control, when we feel a great deal of anxiety and stress, and, and when we're struggling with uncertainties about the future and doubts about, about anything, I mean, faith, it, it could be faith-related or not, and, and we're dealing with all of these struggles, what we do is we place ourselves over the mighty hand of God. 
We place ourselves above the mighty hand of God. And when we do that, we are essentially saying to God, God, I got this one. God, I, I don't know if you can handle this, so why don't I take it from here? When we place ourselves over the mighty hand of God, we're saying, God, I got this. You can take a break. Folks, that at its core essence is what pride is. Pride says, God, I don't think you know what you're doing with my life, so Jesus, why don't I take the wheel? Well, Jesus, you can, you can scoot on over to the passenger side, right? I'll, I'll, I'll take it from here because I'm not sure you got it under control. But folks, but the way of humility places us under the mighty hand of God. And because we're under his mighty hand, get this, we can do what Peter actually instructs us to do in the following verse. And that is, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So get this. Not only is God able and powerful and mighty enough to govern your life, to manage your life, to oversee your life, he also cares for you more than you can ever possibly know. I mean, friends, I want you to understand this is the best case scenario. You want to, you, you know, in business world, they have a, you know, these situations called a win-win scenario, right? When, when both parties come to the table and they're about to sign a contract and both walk away with a profit. That's a win-win. This is a win-win contract. When we step into a relationship with Christ, this is a win-win scenario for us. Understanding that we've got a God who is beyond capable to deal with the mess of our lives. So much so that, hey, he's like, hey, church, Cast your anxieties on me. Some of us are like, man, don't bring your stress into my life. Like, you know, like you got your stress, I got my stress. I don't need to handle your stress. God is like, no, 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 no. I want you to bring your stress, your anxieties, your worries, your doubts, your concerns. Your worry, all, I want you to cast all of that. Put it, the word cast literally means to put it out. To put it out on me. He says, put it on me. And he, what he's saying is, he's like, listen, I want you to know, I can handle it. He's like, I want you to put it on me because I can, when you give me your anxieties, when you place your life in my hands, I want you to know I'm not shaking, I'm not nervous, I'm not unsure, I'm not unstable, I am steady, I'm sure, I'm confident, and I know you, and not only do I know you, I care for you. This is the best case scenario that we have a God who is all-powerful but also deeply loving. You know, to be honest, I, as I began to think about this, I, I thought, you know, the thought of having a powerful but unloving God, that's terrifying. To have a God who holds all the power in the universe but doesn't give to you-know-what about us, that is absolutely terrifying. On the contrary, the thought of having a loving God but a powerless God is incredibly disappointing. It's like, God, I know you love me but you can't really do anything about my situation in life. God, I know you love me, but I know that you hold no power to transform anything that's going on internally in my life. That is utterly disappointing. But the thought of having a God who is both supremely powerful and deeply loving of us, now that's deeply life-transforming. That transforms our entire lives. And because of all of that, we can see clearly that the way of humility is indeed a less anxious way we can simply rest in knowing that god is in control he knows what he's doing 
And if God is holding the seams of the universe together, surely he can hold my life together. And I can give him my anxious ways because he cares for me. The way of humility is a less anxious way. That's the good news. The bad news is point number two. <laughs> the way of humility is an opposed way. It's an opposed way. The way of humility is not popular. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not well-traveled. I mean, any time you think about walking humbly or exercising humility, it's like, ugh, I don't like that. It's like I, 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 everything in us repels that. There's great opposition to those who try to walk in the way of humility. It's just part of the territory. Notice what Peter says here in verses 8 and 9. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. He says, your adversary, you and I have an enemy who opposes us in every way possible, and he is the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, Peter says, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're, watch, you're trying to walk in the way of humility. I, I understand that. It's hard. It's opposed. You're not alone. In fact, don't be naive and believe that the way of humility will be a walk in the park. Church, let me tell you, there is nothing more that the devil would love to do than to get people off on this way of humility. To get, people, to get the people of God away and derailing from this way of humility. You, would you know that the very core nature of the enemy is pride itself it's not it's not evil intentions or or or, or even you know deceit or, or or lies that all comes out of this place of pride the things that the thing that makes the enemy the enemy i want you to understand this it, it, it's not that he has horns or he has a pitchfork or anything. it's not it's not any of that that's not what that's not what makes the enemy the enemy what makes the enemy the enemy, the devil, the opposer of your soul and my soul, is that he believes that he's actually better than God. That's what makes the enemy the enemy. It's pride. At his core being lies pride. And the enemy will love nothing more than to get you to live for you. The enemy will love nothing more than to get you off of this way of humility and get you on this way of living in pride. And that's why Peter says, he used these, the, the, this word picture here, and I love this. For those of you who grew up in the church, you may have heard this uh, referred to. This picture of a roaring lion. Roaring, now, I, I got to tell you, the only lions that I've seen were like sleeping lions in the Bronx Zoo. Like, it's like, come on, wake up. I want to see you roar, you know, but they're always sleeping, you know. Like, and so what, what is Peter getting at here? This, this picture of a roaring lion who is prowling around to devour prey. The reason he's using this word picture is because Christians during this time were literally being devoured and killed by the, by, by the persecutors in, in that time, and they were being killed for their Christian faith. And so the best picture to portray this, this heinous crime, this evil, was to use a roaring lion who was devouring people. Now, fortunately for you and for me, we don't live in a context like this. Well, you know, I said this a few weeks back. We don't live in a context where people are being, you know, thrown out on, on Old Maid Lawn or Hub Lawn, being executed, decapitated, killed for their Christian faith. And, and, and we thank God for that, that we have the freedom to worship in Alumni Hall in this way week after week. But now here's, here's, what, here's what Peter's message means to us. 
Yes, the enemy might not be seeking to take your life in this way, to, to devour your life in this way, but I can guarantee you this. He is seeking to devour your joy. He's seeking to steal your peace. He's seeking to destroy your God-given identity. Remember in chapter 3, Peter tells us who we are. Or in chapter 2, he says, hey, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people chosen by God, called out of darkness into his wonderful light. The enemy will love nothing more to de destroy your perspective on that, your, your view, your view of re reality on what God has called you to be. The enemy, in John 10.10, 10, he says, Jesus says, I have come to give you life. But the enemy, I want you to know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy he is looking to devour and destroy any sign of God's work in your life. You know how you pray, God, I want you to work in my life? How many of you have ever prayed that prayer, right? Like, just give me a head nod if you pray that prayer. Just let me know you're tracking with me. You pray that prayer, God, I want you to do work in my life. Well, guess what? The enemy is standing in the way of all of those prayers. The enemy will love nothing more to stand in the gap and say, eh, no, 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 keep, keep your eyes fixed on you. Keep your eyes fixed on your journey. Keep your eyes, no, no, no. And, and so the enemy would love to get us off track, and that includes this way of humility. That's why Peter urges his followers, the followers of Jesus during this time, to be sober-minded and watchful and to resist him and to stand firm in the faith because the way of humility is indeed an opposed way. You know, a lot of us, uh, we, we don't know how to deal with opposition. You know, we, uh, uh, we like to take the easy route. And when we feel any sense of opposition, you know what we do? We retreat. We, re we, we retreat and, and, and we go to a comfortable place because why would I face opposition for the purposes of something that I'm not even crazy about, humility? Why, what gain is there in this way of humility that I would face opposition in pursuit of this way? Well, that leads me to my third and last point, and that is the way of humility is actually the victorious way. The way of humility is the victorious way. Yes, it is the opposed way, but it is also the victorious way. I love what Peter says here in verses 10 and 11. He wraps up this passage here, and he says, and after you have suffered a little while, in other words, after you've walked in this way of humility a little while, he says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Though we are opposed, we are not defeated. Though the enemy stands against us, we have a God who stands for us. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ. In the book of Romans, we are victorious. We are victors in this faith because in the end, spoiler alert, God wins. The enemy doesn't have the last say. All his opposition and all his tactics and all his scheming and all his prowling around to devour you. The enemy does not have the last say. He does not have the last word. God has the last word. God always has the last word. God always wins. In the end, Peter tells us, God himself will restore us. God himself will confirm us. 
God himself will strengthen us and God himself will establish us. He is our guard. He is our present help in times of need. He is our rock and our fortress in times of trouble. He is our refuge when we need him. He is our strong tower that we run to. He is the great I am. He is the coming king. He is the Christ who came in the form of Emmanuel. This is our God who invites us into his way of victory. This is the God who came over 2,000 years ago, born in a manger to a couple of teenage kids who didn't know what they were doing. And in this manger, Christ came in the most humble way possible. And for 30-somewhat years, he lived this way of humility in every possible way. And 30 years later, he would exhibit and exercise the greatest act of humility that the world would ever see. That the world would ever know that God incarnate, the God who came in the form of a baby in the most humble way, would exhibit the way of humility to the, to the nth degree by dying on a cross so that you and I can be invited into this way of victory. That's good news, people. That's why we celebrate this, this season. Not because of the tinsels and the gifts and all these. We celebrate this season because of what Christ has done for us by walking in this way of humility. All we need to do, church, is to walk in the way of humility as Christ has walked in this way, daily submitting ourselves. Now, I want you to understand this. When, he, when, when Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, this is not a once and done thing. This is not, okay, God, I submit my life to you. I'm going to give you my anxieties this day, and I'm done. How many of you know tomorrow you're going to wake up with some more anxieties? How many of you know next week you're going to deal with some other kinds of stress, some other kinds of turmoil in your life, some other kinds of temptation? There are times in your life that you're going to walk alongside this journey, and you're going to be blindsided by some temptation that you never struggled with. You thought, you, you thought to yourself, and I can attest to this, I don't have time to unpack this, and in fact, I may have shared this at uh, some point in time, but, but there might come a point in time where you're thinking, man, this is, I'm, I'm doing great with the Lord, I'm doing great with the Lord, and then Peter's word might come to, 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 to remembrance. Hey, remember, your adversary, he prowls around like a roaring lion. You might not see him coming around the corner, but when that temptation comes... What you're going to need to do is, in that moment, daily, every single day, every single moment of your lives, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him, trusting that he cares for you, that you, he knows what he's doing, and in so doing, you can walk in victory. The way of humility is a less anxious way. It's also an opposed way. But we don't let, we're not left with this opposition before us, we are given a way to victory. 